0: This is Motley Fool Answers, I'm Alison Southwick and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool.
1: Hey, Allison!
0: Whoa, you're bringing the energy! <laughs>
1: we're trying. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon here! I
0: think about 100 listeners just like <laughs> swipe their headphones out of their head as quickly as possible. alright We're going to take it down a notch
1: now. OK. Welcome to Motley Fool Answers. In this
0: week's episode, we're going to find out how you compare to the average American in all things financial. And we're going to guess which direction your credit score is likely to go once the new FICO scoring comes to your credit history. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers.
1: So, Allison, what's up? Might it be my credit score?
0: Maybe. Let's find out. For some of you, yes. For some of you, it's not what's up. Yep. (laughs) So, it's time once again for Fair Isaac Corp. Are they called Fair Isaac Corp?
1: The, the Fair Isaac Corporation. Fair
0: yes. Isaac Corporation to adjust their FICO score, which is how they calculate credit scores. And according to the Washington Post, 40 million Americans could see a drop in their score. But the good news is another 40 million Americans could see their score go up. So, what group are you likely to be in, bro? I think I know the answer for you, but.
1: We'll see. we'll <laughs> no, I mean, find out by the summer.
0: Right? So, all told. Fair Isaac Corpse says that about 110 million people will see their score swing twenty points in either direction. So which one will you be? I have three things you need to know. Wait, what? what? Three things that's your thing. That is true. Well, anyway, I'm stealing it. So, they are changing the recipe of FICO special sauce, and so here are three things you need to know. Before we get into it, though, of course, i got to tell the crib notes of the FICO score. FICO credit scores range from 300 to 850. A high score, along with other financial factors, can translate into lower interest rates, more lending options, a low score can make it difficult for you to get a credit card, it can influence your insurance rates, and more. So, I think we all know you want a good credit score. Yes. The FICO score takes into account five factors. The two most important are whether you pay your bills on time and the amount you owe, which is basically how much of your available credit you're using. And there are three less important factors, which include your length of credit history, if you've opened up a lot of new credit, um, that'll hurt you, and then the credit mix, such as having a mortgage, a car loan, or credit cards. But really, the first two are the ones you should really focus on. So while all the usual stuff still matters with the new FICO score, or should I say scores, more to come on that later. Ooh. They are going to find, <laughs> They are going to put a finer point on a few things. So, the first thing you need to know is that credit utilization matters more, and this factor keem, seems to keep mattering more and more. I feel like this is Groundhog Day, and that we talked about this with the last adjustment to the to FICO that it was like, oh, credit utilization matters. Uh, so essentially, credit utilization is how much credit you have available to you, and how much of that credit do you actually use. So with your credit card, you might have a ten thousand dollar credit limit, and if you're only putting a few hundred bucks a month on that credit card, you've got a lot of extra credit lying around, and the FICO scoring system will consider that a good thing because you don't seem to be overextending yourself. The rule of thumb here is to not use more than 30% of your available credit. and We're mostly talking talking credit cards here. The good news is that if you're a good credit doobie, it's easy to ask for more credit from your credit card companies. Um, You can go online and do it. You can give them a call. Sometimes they just give it to you for free without asking. Now, what could hurt you as I mentioned is opening up a bunch of new accounts. Technically, yes, that means you will have more credit available, but it looks desperate. So, maybe don't do that so much. All right, the second thing you need to know. Personal loans matter more now. So, a rep with Fair Isaac said, the new scores reflect nuanced changes in consumer credit trends that we observed from our analysis of millions of credit files. I'm sure the person sounded exactly, exactly. like that. <laughs> I can do it in all number of different voices. <laughs> Garsh, the new scores reflect Deal. nuanced Deal. changes. Deal. Okay, well, one are those changes... <laughs> Is that um, one of those changes that they're noticing or trends is that people are taking out more personal loans? So, experience says that personal loan balances over $30,000 have jumped 15% in the last five years. And despite increasing debt loans, delinquency rates have remained relatively low. So, about 6% of consumers were late on payments in 2019 compared to 15% in 2009, according to WalletHub. So, What's changed? Previously, consumers could take out a personal loan, consolidate their debt from outstanding credit card balances, and immediately be rewarded with a credit score bump. But that will no longer be the case when the new rules roll out because FICO doesn't want to see you just shifting debt around. So you will get judged harshly if you try to consolidate your credit card debt, pay it off with a personal loan, and then start back over again, racking up even more credit card debt. All right, the third thing to know. There will be two scores rolled out this summer. Oh. The FICO, yes, oh. two models. The FICO score 10 and the FICO score 10T. All right, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. I don't know a lot about that. Rick's not sold on the branding, apparently, from the <laughs> face he's giving me, but I didn't come up with this. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. All right, according to the New York Times. FICO 10T will look at your last two years or more of credit history to give a longer view of your habits. So, 10T will also weigh recent missed payments more heavily and penalize those who use a higher percentage of their overall available credit for long periods. The last time FICO was tweaked, Fair Isaac anticipated that most people's scores would go up. But with these changes, FICO is basically trying to help lenders get a better idea of who is going to slip up once the economy slides down, which, bro, I know you know is going to happen.
1: I just wish I knew when.
0: Yeah. And that, bro, is what's up. Or maybe down.
1: Since you, dear Motley Fool Answers listener, have lent your ear to this podcast, I assume you want to make sure you're doing all you can to put you and your family on fine financial footing. And every once in a while, you probably wonder yourself, how am I doing? Well, there are a few ways to answer that question, and one is by comparing yourself to others to see how are you doing? Are you ahead or behind everyone else? Well, today we're going to help you make just such a comparison by providing the financial profile of the average American, or more accurately, profiles of many average Americans, since a proper apples to apples comparison takes into account several factors. So, we're going to approach this by looking at sort of like the financial life cycle of somebody, which of course starts with birth. Fortunately, you don't have to pay for your own birth. That's good, because the average cost of a birth in America these days is $10,000, and that's if there are no complications whatsoever. Um, So Let's jump ahead to one of the first experiences people have with actually earning money, and that is an allowance. How many kids get an allowance, and how much do they get? Well, According to a recent survey from the American Institute of CPAs, two-thirds of parents give an allowance, and the average is $30 a week. Pretty nice. What ages?
0: They, did they say what ages they, they started did, giving allowance? They,
1: they broke it down a, a little bit. Okay. Um, but what was interesting to me was four out of five parents expect the children to do work. Some people feel like you should just get allowance because that's how you learn how to be responsible. Um, and they expect at least one hour a week of chores. Um, but on average, children are spending 5.1 hours a week doing chores for their allowance. So, let me just say that my kids are below average when it comes to this. My kids are not doing 5 hours worth of chores. Well,
0: I don't even do 5 hours worth of chores in our house. And I do a lot of chores in our house. What are these are these kids living on a farm? Like <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a very good question.
0: There's a lot of chores. There's a lot
1: of chores. It could be just clean your room. For us, it is dishes. This is the number 1 chore that kids do and we're not even very good at making them do it. Does, like, put, put your own shoes on in the morning, does that count as a chore? <laughs> Dress yourself. We don't live at Downton Abbey, everyone here. Anyway, so there you go. That's allowance. Um, so that's money from your parents. But you'll eventually reach the point where you can start earning money from other people, and here we're talking about being a teenager. But the emphasis is can because most teenagers don't. According to a study by the Hamilton Project and the Brookings Institute, back in 1979, 58% of teenagers we're doing some sort of work, but today it's only 35 percent. Most teenagers don't have a job, which is
0: not even like babysitting or uh, I, I, I
1: guess not. Then the, the the factors for why this has gone down is number one, they say that teenagers just have more things to do, like more kids are doing extracurriculars, more kids are taking classes over the summer. Also, um, there's less low-wage work, more competition from older folks and immigrants. That said, I have three teenagers and I'm not sure I quite buy all this. I mean my kids, especially in the summer my kids have managed to find jobs, but regardless, mm-hmm. the majority of teenagers are not working.
0: What was your first job?
1: Uh, well, so I used to cut before I was of age to be able to do anything. Uh, I cut lawns in the neighborhood and I watered flowers at a local flower shop. Then I'm sure I've told you this story. I've f- faked my birth certificate so I could work at McDonald's. When I was age fifteen, instead of sixteen, so I did that.
0: <laughs> Rick, how about you? What was your first job?
1: I had a horrible paper route once. That thing where you have to go like door to door and collect the money, which I always hated to do, so I never did it. So oh. I never really got paid for the paper route. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Poor thing. What about you?
0: Um. So my first job, uh, I went to a high school where you were expected to work like four hours a day. So you'd go to class in either the morning or the afternoon, and then you would then. So,
1: what kind of work? Like work at the school?
0: Yeah, you'd work at the school or you'd work at a nearby bakery or you'd work. There was a farm too, so you could work on the farm. Some people had farm jobs or work on maintenance in the school. Uh, So I worked for the principal of the high school. Of course you did. So I was responsible. I did a lot of. You know, entering in people's grades and typing, transcribing letters and just office work. So I was like 15, I think, when I started that. Did you like
1: that? Because I've often thought, especially as a, a former elementary school teacher, junior high teacher, I thought a lot of this education is wasted and that it's just been half the day like working out in the basically interning at different types of jobs because. They're not learning so much in school.
0: Yeah, no, it was a good. I mean, it was one of the better jobs to have on campus, that's for sure. So, yeah. a, did
1: you and your friends all get straight A's that year?
0: No, but we. I mean, we could have. We could have definitely changed all of our grades if we weren't <laughs> honest. But it was a religious school, so God would have smoten us if we. We were well aware of the consequences for changing our grades, so we didn't do it. Got it. At least I didn't. What's next in life? Next Marriage? in
1: life is well, we're getting a oh, real there. job. Okay, getting there. Uh, well, but even before then, you finish high school and then what? You go to college. You go to college. Well, I should first of all oh, point boy. out that. I mean,
0: it's nice if you want to.
1: Right. So I'll point out, first of all, that the graduation rate from public high schools is now 85%, near an all time high. Oh, so that's, that's good nice. news. Nice. So, how many people then go into college? 69.7% according to the Department of Labor. Now, Not everyone gets a four-year degree. Some people go to college and they don't get a degree. Some people get the associates. So when you look at four-year bachelor's degrees and graduate degrees, it's, it's between 35 and 40% of people who actually end up with a degree. But almost 70% do end up going to college, which of course brings us to one of the first major financial decisions a kid has to make depending on how much their family is willing and able to pay, and that is the cost of college. So, according to the College Board, let's just go over the numbers here. For the 2019 2020 year, a four year public in state education, room, board, fees, tuition, $21,950. 4 year public out of state, $38,330. 4 year private school, $49,490. Wait, so for a
0: year? A year. Or? A year yeah, yeah. A year.
1: So, now the College Board is quick to point out that those are the published sticker prices. And that most people don't pay those. They say that about three quarters of students receive grants that reduce the actual price that people pay. And just about every college these days has something called a net price calculator. You go on to their website, you put in some basic financial information, and it gives you a general idea of how much you would pay. It's not binding or anything, but if you're thinking of a college, go to the net price calculator and you get an idea of how much aid you might receive. That said, We all know that grants aren't enough, which brings us to the topic of educational loans. So approximately two-thirds of kids graduate with debt, with the average being between $30,000 and $40,000, depending on which source you're looking at. Repayment can take 10 to 20 years. Mm. Um, And according to the Federal Reserve, one-fifth of borrowers were behind in their payments in 2017. Um, So you have to wonder, is a college degree worth the cost? Well, for most people, the answer is probably yes. College grads on average earn 75% more than high school grads, but that said, the Fed did find that college is not a good investment for about 25% of graduates. And Several studies of people who have loans have found that the majority of people regret the debt and they wish they would have found some other way to pay for college, either going to community college, not going to the private school, something like that. But regardless of how you pay for it, you do graduate head out of college, time for that first job. How much can you expect to make? Uh, well, starting salaries these days are around $53,000. Wow. But who's paying you the most? Well, engineering degrees, computer science, and math. Those starting salaries are between $65,000 and $70,000. Math! Math! Can so, you believe it? No!
0: That's crazy!
1: Just well, math! That's because of data. Da- everyone,
0: everyone, so, everyone's so hot with the data. Yes. Everyone loves the data. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, since we just brought up salaries, let's expand this beyond starting incomes to income in general in the United States. What is the average or the median household income in the United States? And the answer is where that Is that sixty-three thousand one hundred and seventy-nine dollars? Hmm.
0: Um, That's what you said. Family or average? Average Individual household. Household income. Household
1: income. But there are a lot of factors that will determine that, starting with where you live. So, the highest incomes are in the Northeast, median is just around $70,000, followed by the West, Midwest, and the South. South is the lowest at $57,000. Being married helps. The median income for a household with a married couple earns $93,600. Um, also, age is a factor. The households who make the most are in the 45-54 to 54 age range, with a median income of 84000 $400. And we've and talked about this before, where income generally peaks at some point in your late 40s or early 50s. Um, finally, just to give you an idea of where your income puts you in relation to the rest of America, here's how the income dispersion breaks down. So, If you make $37,000, you're in the bottom 30%. Again, median is $63,000. If you make $100,000, you're in the top 30%. 184, you're in the top 10%. And to be in the top 5%, you make $248,000. So that's generally how income breaks down. So, what are you going to do with all this money you're earning? The biggest expense in most people's budgets is housing. So, let's see how Americans put roofs over their heads. According to the Census Bureau, 45% of households are renters. Uh, And depending on the source you consult, the average rent now monthly is between $1,000 and $1,500. Of course, that depends on where you live. Uh, An average rent in a one bedroom apartment in New York City just hit $3,000. But regardless of the source, rents are at all time highs. They're up like 35 to 50 percent over the last decade, far outpacing overall inflation, which um, obviously makes it much more difficult these days if in a situation where uh, incomes are barely rising with the cost of living. Now, of course, if you're not renting, you can own a home. According to Zillow, the median home value in the United States is two hundred and forty-four thousand dollars. But of course, location, location, location. The states with the top five highest median home value: number one is actually not a state; it's Washington D.C. Mm. The median home value: seven hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars. Wow. Followed by Hawaii, median home value: seven hundred uh, and twenty thousand dollars. Then followed by California, Massachusetts. And Washington. lowest oh, cheaper to live in Hawaii than here? It yeah. is. Let's it is. Go. <laughs> there we go. What are we doing here? Well, we can
0: record a podcast from Hawaii. Uh, I think it'd be a
1: great idea. Lowest, if you want to go to a cheap place to live, lowest median home value, uh, West Virginia, $107,000, followed by Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, and Kentucky at $147,000. There are 218 cities where the average home value is over a million dollars, but more than half of them are basically in the New York, LA, San Francisco metro areas. Following that, you'll find some million-dollar uh, neighborhoods in Boston, Miami, and Seattle. I took a look at the 50 biggest metro areas just by size, by population, just to look at the dispersion. There's a wide dispersion there. The one that stuck out the most to me, the cheapest place to live is Detroit. Median home value, $35,000. Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Okay, returning to our financial life cycle here. You have a job. You got a place to live. What's next on your horizon? We talked about. I mentioned it earlier. For 50% of Americans age 18 or older, it's getting married. That's actually down about 10% from 1990, partially because uh, the rise in cohabiting, basically living in sin, <laughs> and we're getting married later. So the average age of the first marriage for a male is 30, female 28, highest ever. Um, While the overall divorce rate has been going down, it's doubled for those who are 50 and older since 1990 and tripled for those who are 65 and older since 1990. They're heading to the
0: villages, man. They're like, (laughs) I'm over you, Herb. I'm heading south.
1: I think that's true. Anyways, so for marriage, we move on to kids. So these days, the typical American family has 1.93 kids. You'll find slightly bigger families out west, slightly smaller ones in the northeast. Um, according to the Department of Agriculture, the cost of raising a kid to age 18 is $240,000. Oh, okay. That doesn't include college. And We're then talk- you
0: say it's going to be worse when you're living in the DC area. I was,
1: it's basically, all of that correlates to home values. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and same with income. It's all correlated. So I was, if you look at where do you want to earn the most money? It's basically the same places that have the most expensive houses. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So, what can you do? That's, so the, that so that $240,000 doesn't include college costs. We talked about college costs previously. What can you do about college costs? Well, you can save in a 529 because the money grows tax-free as long as you use it for qualified expenses. However, according to savingforcollege.com, less than a third of parents are even aware of 529 plans. Uh, and less than 18% of children under the age of 18 have a 529 plan. Mm. Now That's up from only 6% in 2002. That was a momentous year in the history of 529s because that saw the publication of The Motley Fool's Guide to Paying for School.
0: Oh, are you taking credit for that?
1: Absolutely. Well, me and who designed the cover of that book? Rick Engel? That's right. Aww. I'm not saying that the tripling of the participation rate in five twenty nines was due to the publication of our book.
0: Didn't hurt. But I have not
1: found an article that disputes this fact. Yeah. So I'm gonna take credit for it.
0: Oh way to go, you guys. Yeah. You need to write another book to so get get those numbers up again. All right.
1: Uh, final point on five twenty nines, the average balance is around twenty six thousand dollars.
0: Well that's you're gonna need more than that. Uh, exactly. <laughs>
1: so that's according to the college savings plan network, so that's enough to pay for one year at an in state public school. Okay, so you're doing all this adulting, right? You're crushing paying, it. You're paying bills, perhaps borrowing money. People have been keeping an eye on you. We talked about it earlier in the show, and those are the credit reporting agencies. Um, boil it all down to that FICO score. So, what is the average FICO score these days? Well, Experian came out with a recent report and said that the average is 703. And it's gradually been moving up, it's up from 689 in 2010. So Just to give you an idea of that dispersion, so a third of people have scores below 670, 21% have scores between 670 and 739, which is considered good, 25% have scores between 740 and 799, which is very good, and 20% have above 800, which is exceptional. But as we talked about earlier, these scores are going to change sometime this summer, so we'll see how everyone
0: Yeah. And and it looks like if you already have a good score, it's just going to go up higher. And if you already have a bad score, it's probably just going to go lower. Right. It's not going to be a huge surprise, I don't think, for people.
1: So why should you care about your credit score? Well, you mentioned it earlier, too. It's because when you take out a loan, you'll hopefully pay a better interest rate or have a greater chance of getting a loan. So, let's talk about debt. According to the Federal Reserve, around 80% of households have some sort of debt and it's been going up steadily over the years. And it's quite remarkable to me. Especially since the Great Recession, that the economy has improved. Mm-hmm. So many things have improved, but people just keep taking on more and more debt, particularly older Americans. So if you look back to 1989, everyone's had more debt. But when you look at people in the 65 to 74 age range, 89, 50% had debt. Today it's more than 70%. When you look at the 75 and older crowd, in 89 only 20% had debt today it's more than 50%. And
0: that's excluding mortgages and stuff no, like it includes that it's all everything. of it it's everything. all of
1: it mortgages yeah. and, and school loans because many of these people either took out their own school loans or they did it on behalf of their kids or their grandkids. Most common de- common type of debt is credit card debt. Around half of people pay off the balance every year depending on what your source that goes a little bit one way or the other but for those who carry a balance the average is between 6,000 and 8,000. The biggest loans are mortgages. So around, a two th- around two-thirds of homeowners still have a mortgage, a third have managed to pay it off. Um, according to Experian, the average size of a mortgage of any age is a little over $200,000. But according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, the average size of a new mortgage is $356,000. So that's how much we owe. Let's look at something a little bit more fun, how much we own. So let's start with savings, right? Because the first step to owning something Is savings so? How much is the American, the average American saving? Let's start with the personal savings rate calculated by Uncle Sam. It's essentially it's some data computed by the Department of Labor. It looks at your income and takes out all your outlays and your taxes. The savings rate peaked at seventeen point three percent in nineteen seventy five. Got as low as two point two percent in two thousand and five, and now it's at seven point nine percent. So okay. The number 1 savings goal for most Americans is retirement, so how much are people contributing to their retirement plan at work, their 401 A lot of people don't have a plan at work. If you have a plan at work, uh, typically about 75% of people are participating, which means 25% aren't. But of those who are saving, the numbers are a little bit all over the place. Um, if you have a plan with Vanguard, the average rate is 6.9%. At Fidelity, the average rate is 8.8%, and then Transamerica had a study that found that the average is 10%. So it's somewhere in the range there. If you're maxing out your 401k, you're in the minority. Only 13% of people max out their 401ks, according to Vanguard, and only 15% of people of 50 and older are taking advantage of that higher catch-up contribution you could make. Uh, So putting this all together, we could reasonably ask, what's the net worth of the average American? So, meaning of course, everything you own minus your debts, what's left over. Unfortunately, the best numbers that we have are not the most recent. The gold standard for net worth is the Survey of Consumer Finances, which is done by the Federal Reserve every three years. They did it in 2016. They did it again in 2019, but they haven't released the results yet. So, I'm going to give you the 2016 numbers. But things have gone pretty well since 2016. Stock market's up, home prices up, debt is also up, though. But it's reasonable for you to take these numbers, think of your own situation, and add a good 20 to 30 maybe even 40% if you want to compare where you are. So what is the average net worth of an American as of 2016? $692,000. But that's the average, because it's the simple average, the mean, and it's thrown off considerably by the super wealthy Americans. If you look at the median, that point where half have more and half have half have less, that net worth is only ninety-seven thousand dollars. Wow. Yes, and it and it varies significantly by age. Mm-hmm. So, those from thirty-five to forty-four, the median net worth is only sixty thousand dollars. Forty-five to fifty-four, one hundred twenty-four thousand. Fifty to sixty-four, one hundred eighty-seven thousand, and above sixty-five, about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's the median net worth. So that includes home equity, cash in the bank, and retirement accounts. Now I did try to find some more recent numbers. I kind of found just bits and pieces. So, for example, um, Transamerica released a study just in the last December. Estimated median retirement savings, so IRAs, 401ks, and everything, for millennials. The median retirement savings: twenty-three thousand. Generation X: just sixty-six thousand. Baby boomers: one hundred and fifty-two thousand dollars. Uh, Northwestern Mutual's 2019 Planning and Progress study found that 22% of Americans have less than $5,000 saved for retirement, and another 5% just have between $5,000 and $25,000. Only 16% of Americans have saved $200,000 or more for retirement. So that's going to be pretty challenging for a lot of people. All right, let's bring this numerific segment back to the life cycle, close it out here. Why is everyone doing most of this financial stuff? it's for retirement. So You've worked, you've retired, how much can you expect to have as income if you're the average retiree? According to the Department of Labor's Consumer Expenditure Survey, between 65 and 74 years old, the average income is $60,000. For those who are 75 and older, it drops to $38,000. Some of that is because people are running out of money, so they have to cut back on expenses. But a lot of it is also because expenses just drop as we age. So people are withdrawing less from their retirement accounts and from their savings accounts, and they don't need as much income. The bulk of income is provided by Social Security. And for today's retirees, studies indicate that many, if not most, still have that traditional pension because while they were working, they were covered by a pension. I found one article that said 80% of today's retirees receive something from a pension. Wow. But tomorrow is going to look very different because today, today's workers, only 24%, have that traditional defined benefit pension and that number just is going to keep going down throughout the years. So that's the financial profile of the average American. So I'll close by congratulating our listeners because after reading their emails, answering their questions for more than five years, I feel pretty confident in saying that most of them are above average, uh, if not well on their way. I would just say just take some time to play around with some savings calculators, retirement calculators, or maybe even see a fee-only financial planner that works on an hourly or project basis, just to make sure you're on track because, in the end, it doesn't really matter whether you're above average or below average. What matters is whether you're doing enough to pay for whatever your financial goals may be.
0: Yay! That was great! (laughs) Really? I liked it. Rick looks bored to death, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) I thought it was good.
1: Could have used a little more conversation, but that's okay. She so didn't want to knock me off my train of thoughts. <laughs>
0: I know. Once you get going, you just you you go. It's fine. Uh, okay, oh, that's the show. It's edited. Oh. Above averagingly. Above averagingly. <laughs> Sickeningly. Um, oh, are you? Do you really think you're getting sick? I don't know. You're not looking good. And I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> <clears throat> uh No fun? What?
1: No fun segment? That wasn't fun enough for you? It was
0: fun. No, <laughs> there's no fun segment. You don't get fun segment. This is why you can't have nice things. You get healthy and then we'll have a fun segment. I don't want to like get you too exhausted here. Fair Enough. Uh how's the show edited? Average average averagely. Averagingly. Aver- above averagely. Averagely. Can you say above averagely?
1: You did. You just did. And okay. you made up another word in your in your segment. I can't remember what it was. Oh
0: yeah, it was. Um, I I literally wrote it down, so it's not like I just came up with it off the top of my head. Uh, okay. Well, that's the show. It's edited above averagely by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool You can also come hang out with us at the Facebook group that we have uh, for Motley Fool Podcasts. I don't know.
1: Knock on the door. We'll let you in.
0: We'll let you in. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. (laughs) Sure about that? (laughs) Stay foolish, everybody.